is Ronaldo! Oh my goodness! You don't save those! Out of this world! Messi! 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 3 nothing. Landon Donovan, there are things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross, and Dempsey is denied again! And Donovan has scored! Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA! Certainly through! Oh, it's incredible! You could not write a script like this! For the fourth time, the United States of America are crown champions of the world. From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. Another week, another edition of FUVFC. That last week it was just myself and James here. So glad to add Andy Rodriguez back into the mix. It's been a minute, Andy, but thank you so much for being here. Nick Guzman alongside James Burley and Andy Rodriguez. Fellas, how are we doing on this Thursday evening? I'm doing very, very well. Um, got still the second of two busy midterm weeks for me personally, so I'm looking forward to having that over and done with and looking forward to Halloween weekend this weekend just on a personal note here in the States, but we're going to look at a lot of things that are going on in Europe and soccer today, which I'm very much looking forward to, as well as some stuff happening locally, which you know we always enjoy. But most importantly, I'm excited to have Andy back on the pod because it's, it's been, been a, a while. Minute. It's been a minute since we've had you specifically, and it's been a while since we just mixed it up because it's been you and me consistently now. We had the debacle last week. Nobody could ever get a time together, so I'm glad we finally figured it out. It's been a hot minute, like you guys said. I feel like I was like being shunned out from FUVFC. <laughs> it's been so long, but I'm glad to be back and talk about my favorite sport, I've been going insane. Like, I have no one to talk to about it. And, you know, I'm just, like, ranting to myself. That's no fun. So I'm glad I can voice it out here on the mic now. Definitely. And it was a big Champions League week. The Red Bulls won their playoff game over Charlotte. First of all, can't believe they made the playoffs in the first place on that, that John Tolkien penalty down in Nashville to clinch it for them. They just make the playoffs. That's just what they do. But we'll get to that in a second. James was at the game yesterday. But I think where we have to start is another busy match week in the Champions League. On Tuesday, there were a lot of interesting games. I think the main one that caught my eye, at least from a theatrical perspective, the Man United-Copenhagen game and just how that unfolded. Harry Maguire has been under so much scrutiny from everyone, probably deservedly so. Um, He scores the winner, and then you think Copenhagen are going to get an equalizer on a penalty off of a really clumsy foul from Scott McTominay. But Andre Onana, who again heavily criticizes, made a lot of mistakes early on in his Man United tenure, Comes up with a penalty save, which was the last action of the game. A clutch save to win it for United. A much-needed three points after they dropped their first two games in the group. Now they're right back in it, James. Now you're 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 a United guy. So just first your thoughts on Onana's heroics and just how important it was to get those three points. Well, you can just look at the table and you can see how important it was to to not only get those points for Champions League play, but even to put them in contention. It's going to sound pretty terrible but for the third place pool in Europa League play because let's be face it they're not going to win the Champions League but they could eventually go to the Europa League and a lot of people have them bowing out at this stage now but with three points in the bag halfway through the group stage they have enough uh now of a body of work to go and maybe steal second place back from Galatasaray um but the fact that it's Harry Maguire and Onana teaming up to bring about triumph for Manchester United I'm 
I mean, that's that's about as storybook as it gets for this team. Those are the two most vilified, not just players at that club, but arguably players in the entire world. I don't think you could make a case for a player who's more maligned by his own fans or by fans of the game in general than Harry Maguire. I don't think a single person like that exists. And then Andre Onana has been getting it from all sides lately, from fans of United and from enemies of United, more so than Harry Maguire even was. So for the two of them to team up, I think, is big for them as individuals. Um, one of the privileges, and I've said this before, about being able to beat report on professional athletes is that you kind of get to feel like, oh, these are just people. They're human beings. So when you see what these guys go through on a pretty uh, consistent basis, it's kind of terrible. But at the same time... You said it yourself, Harry Maguire is not that great of a contributor for Manchester United. It confused a lot of people why he was the captain of this team for so long. But I think it's just a great moment to be able to look back and say this was his day, this was Onana's day. And then even on the weekend, it was Scott McTominay's day, who mm-hmm. is another yeah. one of those guys who I would say gets criticized maybe a bit more than his fair share of criticism from fans of Manchester United. It's still probably just a couple of Band-Aids over a bigger problem. For Manchester United, they're not quite where they want to be yet, but step in the right direction, and I think this should put some some fans at ease that, you know, it's it's big man Maguire, the tree, scoring some goals. Yeah, it's definitely been rough for Maguire, and I'll admit, I'm some of the people who's like... I've slandered him, him yeah. so much. He's not that great. Yeah, like, this one goal is not going to, like, make him, like, change my views, you know, like, make me change completely my perspective on him. You said he's not a great contributor. I think no, he contributes not. more against. So Arguably, that, yeah. that says a lot. But still, it's it's rough Like when you remember that they are people, as you mentioned. And just the way he got like taken away from being a captain, like the way it's that harsh. all went down, it's yeah, it's, it's been really harsh for him. So it's nice to see in a humane perspective, I guess, to see him have this little win. But of course, as if you're a fan of United, you want more. You know, It's not like <laughs> this one game is going to forgive all your sins. It's so awesome being in the Keating Basement where the Wi-Fi doesn't really work that well, so you kind of have to go off the dome. <laughs> the other game's Tuesday, Arsenal-Sevilla. A positive, positive road performance for Arsenal, picking up the, the 2-1 win, picking up their second win in the Champions League. And then also, Real Madrid picked up a win on Tuesday. Not a ton of upsets necessarily, but Andy, you're a Real Madrid guy. Do you see anything special from that performance? Uh. Real Madrid in the group stage always sucks, all right? As a Real Madrid it fun, up. it's rough. I think I saw a stat. I don't know how true this is. It's been basically the first time they've won their first three group stage games in a long, long time. At least that's how it feels like, and I'm sure if I had the stat confirmed, I know I saw it somewhere. It's been years, so it's really good to see that, get those wins, and, oh my gosh, Jude Bellingham. Jude Bellingham, so, so nice to have him he on the team. He is amazing. I didn't realize, like, that it, I, if you played him further up the pitch, he was going to score like this many goals. Like I didn't re- think that was something he had in his locker. Is, like is, I, I thought he was marketed as a box to box guy early on, and it's still so early on in his career. But the fact that he's now banging in the goals at the rate that he, that he is, it's insane. I would say that he's still in many ways playing like a box to box player, just scoring every just single score, game, just getting into the right areas and scoring. Because I mean, if you look at Real Madrid central midfield, it's four deep in players but those players in ahead of Chuamani are Camavinga, Valverde and Bellingham who are all pretty flexible in the way that they can rotate and take up positions in that team. Valverde's played as high up as a winger and to a second striker off uh, for the for Uruguay sometimes and how he gets involved in the attack and then Jude Bellingham maybe on paper is lined up ahead of him but 
comes back and covers a lot of ground in that in that midfield as well. So I think look, Real Madrid are a, a machine in the Champions League. There's that that much is true, and now they've kind of brought it into the group stage, which is uh, some, a new territory for them, but it, yeah. it's still very welcome to their fans. And I think his goal scoring record now is what twelve goals in fourteen matches, all competitions, or eleven and thirteen. It shouldn't be insane. It's Ronaldo numbers. It shouldn't. It's Ronaldo numbers from a central midfielder who's in his first year at the club. I, I, that sort of thing should boggle your mind. It's it, it, it blows my mind. And I know, like, I've heard the arguments now, but he's scoring so many tap ins. Can we give him credit? And I'm I'm saying infuriates me more than when somebody calls a player a tap in merchant. Especially someone's got to tap it in. Especially when it's someone arriving late from the middle. Like so many of those tap ins, quote unquote, are headers. So many of those are him arriving at the back post. And actually, if you look at some of his goals, he beats players on the dribble and scores too. I he, was about to say, those are not tap If no, you even look at like his first three goals, he, none were tap He scores a variety of goals. It, it speaks to his ability as a player that he doesn't just arrive and score headers, but that that's part of his game. And that he isn't just you know getting on the end of a cross at the back post during a corner and tapping it in. He's a genuinely all-rounded footballer, the likes of which... I don't think exists better than him at the moment right now. I, I I think of him sort of in the same realm as Kevin De Bruyne, but he's being more effective at the moment. And I I would have I would rather take Jude Bellingham on my team than Kevin De Bruyne right now. Especially you consider wow. the age too. What Bellingham's twenty one, right? Yeah, and he feel like he's been a, he feel like he's been a pro for forever because he he did he came up at what age sixteen for for Birmingham City and. Then go to take the the logical next to take a, a good step to go to Dortmund, not the biggest club in the world. I think he's done himself a big service by going to Dortmund and then going to Real Madrid, slowly Absolutely. sort of working your way up to sort of now be at the peak. But is it the peak? Because he's twenty one years old. And and not look, and everywhere no. in his career, people have 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 asked questions of 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 are they doing him wrong? Are they forcing him too quickly? When he went to Dortmund, people acknowledged that as a good move, but then people were looking at Birmingham City like fools because they're like, well, you've just sold this guy to Dortmund when you could have waited, maybe made way more money on him. But then you also retire his kit number after he's like 18 and people clowned on him uh, on the club for that. And then they sell him to Real Madrid and everybody looks at Birmingham City like, wow, you produced one of the world's great midfielders, one of the great English midfielders. Uh, He's an absolute stud. Uh, He's so fun to watch. And... To now have just walked into Real Madrid and say, "Yeah, the game flows through me now." You can you can turn to me in the ways you turn to guys like Luka Modric. I think that says a big, big uh, thing. Not only about his personality as a player, but just his ability as he, he's genuinely that good. But you also don't want to see that. Like, I, it's exciting as a Madrid fan, like seeing him score game in, game out. And yeah, it's exciting because he's twenty years old, not even twenty one. Twenty, yeah, twenty. Born June in two thousand three, which is insane. So he's young, he's younger than me. Yeah, he's younger than all of us here. Maybe um, I'm the James. James I got child. two months to oh, catch barely, up to Jude Bellingham. Yeah. So look, it's exciting, but if especially if you're a Madrid fan, what if he gets injured, or even if he's not injured, like you can't rely on your midfielder, even if he is playing a more attacking role, to score all the goals. And it goes back to like the reason why he's scoring that many goals is because Madrid is missing a number nine. So they still need to fix that issue. It's working right now in the early stages of Champions League, but if they want to come back and get a win and win the whole thing, they need to fix that issue. And I think, I mean, as far as patchwork goes, Jude Bellingham having, I mean, I think I would a lot of teams would take him to be your primary goal scorer. It's just incredible what he's been doing. I want to bounce around a little bit now to the games on Wednesday. I want to focus in on 
I think what everybody uh, thought before the season would be the most interesting group in this Champions League. That's Group F, PSG, Dortmund, Newcastle, and AC Milan. And I want to start with that PSG-AC Milan game because I think AC Milan have, have gotten a lot of praise early in the Serie A season for how well they've played, minus the, the, the thrashing against Inter in Serie A, and then they lost against Juventus last weekend. But against PSG, it looked like men against boys for pretty much the entirety of the match. PSG went 3-0. They blew them away, and Milan never really looked like they had a chance. And that's now two draws and a loss for AC Milan. PSG pick up their second win in the group. They're top with six points. But I feel like that was kind of a statement win from PSG, and just a, a disappointing loss. You can lose to PSG on the road, but the way AC Milan played looked like a club that is nowhere near that kind of quality. Yeah, I was really disappointed with that because we got two token Americans yes. on that AC Milan team that I was really looking forward to watching play against a really, really good side and a really tough place to play. And Pioli just kind of set it up right into PSG's hands. I, I look at that second goal where it came from came from a press, actually, and they just invited pressure into their own box, and it was Mbappe who just put everything together, as he normally does. By the way, if I think Real should maybe look at that Mbappe kid. He's pretty good. <laughs> I hear he's, Wait, who I hear is he's that? decent. Yeah. Who is that? I haven't uh, heard of them. He's this, he's this French guy who, I guess, uh, he scores goals or something. Oh, he does. And he oh, could play okay. the position that Real Madrid need. Um, I hear there's some interest there, too. Uh, I'm the first one to report on that. And and Milan had no response. You know, they've been they've been praised largely both in America and in Italy and the Serie A play for their free-flowing attack that has allowed Christian Pulisic to find his feet again and, and get into his good American form where he scored that screamer against Germany. I did not for one second feel like AC Milan had that attacking prowess that they maybe have shown in Serie A that they maybe showed uh, in in their late goals in now two games in the league where they've rescued points at the end, they kind of fell over and were flattened. Uh, I didn't expect that. And we often find ourselves looking at group stage where PSG flatten opponents that maybe they shouldn't even be uh, that much better than. And then in the group stage, they topple over. So I think this is pretty consistent with what we've seen from PSG over the last few years. Uh, I'm not entirely convinced by the performance they gave out because I was more so disappointed with Milan but yeah. I think look when you give Mbappe that kind of space and that a kind of ability to dictate the game in the final third you're going to get punished and that's exactly what happened I mean that first goal I think it, it summarizes everything that you were saying James the fact that Kylian Mbappe can take the ball on the left wing and just have so much time to get it onto his right foot and then get a shot away if you let Kylian Mbappe have that much time you're going to get punished and I think, I think AC Milan sort of in in uh, American circles of soccer maybe have been a little over overrated early on in this season, just we because would never. Of, just because we want them to be good. American fans want them to be good. Yeah, they were top Serie A for 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 a minute there, but I think that was a New York minute. That was a New York yeah. minute, and I think they'll 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 fall a little bit more as the season goes on. But the other game was Dortmund against Newcastle. Where we saw Newcastle in their first home game in the Champions League, the the atmosphere at St James's Park, they toppled over PSG, but not quite the same luck against Borussia Dortmund. Dortmund get that goal right before the halftime break, and that was enough to push them past Newcastle. And it's kind of crazy to say that Newcastle will be disappointed by losing to Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League, but they should, yeah, they probably they, could they be. Probably are. They 
they had chances. Anthony Gordon at the crossbar in the closing seconds of that game. They had chances, and now Newcastle find themselves in third on goal difference. Bruce Dormand leveled with them on four points, but Dormand in second on goal difference. So for Newcastle, it's it's crazy to say that it's a disappointing result, but it, it is a disappointing result, especially considering the atmosphere they're able to cultivate at St. James's Park. That atmosphere was electric, but that group is just so difficult yeah. that this 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 game could could have been make or break. Because um, look, they have three more matches, and you and you you can look at the rest of their their matches left and say, but they could rescue it and could get out of the group somehow, especially with the way Milan have disappointed. Yeah, but. You could also make the same argument that it's gotten too far away now because you've got to go travel on the road to these places. You've got yeah. to now win, I would say, at least two to get through. And when you drop matches at home against, I would say, Dortmund. Dortmund at home is, is one of your three wins that you have to get in this group if you want to advance out of it. If you're a team like Newcastle, who is, you know, for its first time, long time, while they do have the quality, that still, much, that still has to be weighing on the players and the fans because they're, they're so eager to get back into the knockouts because they're because they're just because they're there again and they know that they're going to be there for years. They they've established themselves into what I think people are now calling the new top seven in England. So I I think it's yeah it's disappointing on the surface for now and I know there's a lot of pressure to to get back and to succeed right away when you return to the Champions League and the fans are excited so it might hurt a little bit more. But but on paper, still, I, I don't know if I have Newcastle as matching up to ahead of Dortmund. But at home, that's a game that they need to win. Yeah. Absolutely needed to win. And I, I have my doubts if they can. Look, they're only level on points with Dortmund. I but I say, it's only goal difference. But it's I, the fact that they have to go away to PSG, it's, away it's, to Dortmund, and Milan's the home game left. Yeah, but that's, they that's, could do it. They, they could, could do it. it but like yeah. now, how do you see them getting points away at PSG or Dortmund? I honestly know. Well, it depends on... Which team shows up, you know, like like Milan, you expected more and then they right. perform badly. So anything can happen in this sport. And PSG has to play two away games as well. Like, who knows? There is a scenario. I don't think it's likely, but there's a scenario where Dortmund and Newcastle go through and PSG doesn't. What if they choke? You know, PSG is known for choking. You, you, they might. It I don't usually know. happens a little bit. A little later. 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 Usually they survive. Yeah, it's part. usually one round later. One round of 16. One singular round <laughs> yeah. later. And now they lost Messi and Neymar and yeah. they're struggling in League One. So who knows? Who knows? Yeah. This group could also be called the Sandro Tonali group. Who? Oh my is, oh, I want to touch on that real quick. Yeah, we almost didn't talk because about that. we didn't talk about it in pre-production, but I know you got everybody. Yeah. Everybody, everybody's aware. He's banned for ten months for gambling, and initially, the the rumors were that he may, it, he didn't bet on his own games. Maybe he just has a gambling problem, but he didn't bet on like AC Milan games. So that's fine. But it turns out he did bet on AC Milan games. So that's a major no-no. 10-month ban for Sandro Tonali, and now the, the rumor is that Newcastle might try to take legal action against Milan. If there's evidence that Milan knew when they sold them, I don't think there is evidence, and if there, is, so. if there is evidence, they definitely burned it by now. So good luck with that one, Newcastle. But I've, I just want to touch a little bit on the, the, the hypocrisy of, of a league like the Premier League or just major leagues in Europe who promote gambling so much <laughs> and then ban and it's yeah. on it's on their shirts it's it's their shirt it's sponsors. The sponsors it's everywhere everything everything revolves around gambling and then he's banned for 10 months i get you can't bet on your own games but it, it does seem a little hypocritical when it's literally you promote it so so much I, for 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 those who have never actually been to a game in europe 
the the betting culture like betting culture around us has kind of blown up since, since it's, it's been, been legalized, legalized it's here. definitely blown up i think it's still even bigger in europe um because you can go to a game and where they have like they have restaurants they have food stands they have drink stands and then next to that they have betting stands where they have a bunch of props listed on whiteboards this was at when i saw a match at old trafford they had a bunch of different props up, and you can go at different ends of the stadium, and they have completely unique betting props at every different corner. And there was one that was all different types of goals. Zlatan, two goals. Is this, is these odds. You can bet through the 365 uh, booth, and there's a line around the corner of the stadium, longer than the bathroom line of people waiting to just place uh, a five-pound wager on whether or not Zlatan Ibrahimovic, this was seven years ago, <laughs> whether or not Zlatan's going to score two goals at Old Trafford, or, or whether or not Pogba's coming in in the 75th minute, or, or whether or not Luke Shaw is going to get injured, something like Everything. that. Everything. Uh, which all of those happened in that game that I saw, by the way. So, <laughs> so those would have been a great parlay had you done it. Do not take my betting advice. The point is, I do think it's very hypocritical for Sandro Tonali, but I've, I've, his whole career path confuses me because he was he was on the Brescia Andrea Pirlo path went to AC Milan who he was incredibly passionate about was his boyhood club that he grew up loving adoring and then went to Newcastle England from Milan it's a little different Italy. than Milan just a yeah. little, just a little snitch, culturally a little I think that's about as different as you can get can you imagine if like when he was 22 Andrea Pirlo decided to go play for Newcastle I mean, even the video when he's like looking at the facility and everyone's like, everyone's like, oh, when this guy, like, <laughs> this guy doesn't want to be here. So I think that 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 is what maybe fueled this this idea that AC Milan knew, yeah. and that's why he left his beloved club. I don't know about all that. That just confused me. I thought maybe the money was was coming in that that new money, that new Newcastle money that we're, everybody's been talking about was coming in for Sandro. But I I, I think this is just disappointing. Um, I hope he gets the help he needs because it makes it, it. They've made it very clear that he has a gambling addiction. He's going through eight months of rehab through this program. Yeah. Um, Ten months without him is 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 not good, especially because the Euros are also within the next yeah, ten you know, months. He can't play for Italy. And yeah, that, Italy, that's rough. Italy, he's a big player for Italy now, or at least he's going to be over the next four years. I would say. All right, guys, let's play bets. What are the odds he gets <laughs> over the gambling addiction once he comes back? Over oh, under, Sandro Tonali gets gets past his gambling addiction. <laughs> I'm gonna say the over. I got faith in Sandra. Uh, plus plus four fifty. Plus four. I think it was. Yeah, I, I think he'll be fine. Honestly, <laughs> I th- it's a crazy story. Really. Uh, this is going. This has been going around. This is. He's not the only player at Newcastle going through this. I believe. Yeah, he like got others involved now and, or something. Like and that. this is happening in other sports, even in America. Shane Pinto uh, was just uh, banned for half of the hockey season. Shout out, <laughs> shout sibling out, of shout Brianna out, Pinto, Brianna Pilto, Fordham softball's all-time, all-time stolen base leader. Stolen base leader. So yeah, the Fordham connections Dude, it's, are it's hitting clo- it's hitting close to home. It's yeah. hitting way close to home. Yeah. I just I, I feel like it's when everyone's like, wow, this is so much. Like I can't believe all these guys are gambling. Everybody has these problems. Then you just just look up, I'm look like, around you. Have you not? And you look m- at how much it's promoted. Yeah, also everything. I, I will say this: I understand the problem with betting if you're a player and then you throw games. But Milan was doing well. I want to. He was probably betting that. He's definitely betting win. on them to win. That's just confidence, right? That's confidence. That should well, look, be rooted. I, for. I, I have, I've been trying to have a good time. Yeah. Ivan Tony got. Uh, I forgot. About it. Ivan Tony banned a big one. for the yeah. same thing. Well, he placed over what, like four hundred yeah. unique bets or something. It was crazy. But he had was breaking his own goal scoring records left and right uh, with Peterborough and then with Brentford. So I. I it's not like he gave him a competitive advantage. Maybe or, it's an or, incentive. Or maybe he was undermining the integrity of the game. I think like there there should be like 
context to the betting in which you're going to be banned for but i don't i don't know if it's if it's for us to decide because they don't always disclose these sort of things you know uh generally it's if he was betting on a different sport i don't think they'd ban him that's kind of the rule but we don't know exactly the nature of the bets he was making and anything we say on that is kind of just us speculating on it and maybe like kind of being just shocked that that sort of thing happens to people because it may not seem easy, but I know so many people who just love betting on sports and they can get wrapped up in it. But if you're a player and you're betting on things that have nothing to do with you as a player, I don't see how that's problematic. I agree. Like you can, you can run another business. You can make money doing other stuff. Why does it matter if you're betting on sports that has like nothing to do with you? I, I think just the fact that, I wish they would disclose, like a little more, the, a yeah, little like more about the know. details, like of of what kind of betting it is, because it does make a difference. I think the policy is that it's like a sort of umbrella policy where you can't bet at all if if you're a player, but I, I don't think it should be that way. I think now we can segue into Group G, <laughs> Man City's group. Erling Holland broke a little bit of a, a, a goal-scoring drought. Not really a drought by by his standards, but I thought an interesting quote from Pep Guardiola after the game was that people want him to fail. Is that I don't know if that's true. Yeah, it that, is that true. People who want Erling Holland to fail. It is maybe a little bit, but Man City moved to three wins, uh, three wins out of three in that group. They beat Young Boys by a score of three to one on they the road. They went down. They went down, but Manuel Akanji scored that first goal, and then two from Erling Holland put it away. So City are perfect in that group, Leipzig in second. But I think it's interesting to talk about Manchester City in the, in the context of this season as a whole because they've, they've dropped points in the Premier League. They're not first right now. Maybe they're not playing at their, at their peak capacity right now, but you just know once we get to the spring, once we stuff starts to really matter, they're going to be playing in, in full throttle. Yeah, Man City's... Uh a force to be reckoned with and now that Holland broke his drought they should be fine you know uh obviously it, it was rough for him just because uh, the mentality as a striker is the less the longer you go without scoring it's like you're getting your head but now that he scored twice not even just one goal he scored the pen and then he scored another goal so yeah Man, Man City is, is a, it's gonna be rough to dethrone them I'd say this is a pretty historically I would call it a Man United group in terms of the quality of the opponents that are in there with them. Mm. I think typically United get like the young boys and, and and Red Star type of opponents, but City have gotten it this time around and they're not at full throttle yet, but do they, they need, need to be do they need yeah. to be? I think look, when you're not on your A game and you're still getting results, I think that says a lot about not only how good you can be when you're on your A game, but it says a lot about your character and your ability to just win games as a habit. While it hasn't been as consistent as they maybe would have liked in the Premier League, dropping two of their last three. Um, they did rectify that on the weekend against Brighton, going down to 10 men, still winning. And I think they will be fine in the Champions League in the long run. And I think anything less than a semifinal appearance would surprise the entire world if they don't at least reach that stage, which is crazy high expectations, but they've earned them. And it's always interesting talking about the Champions League at this stage of the season because... Soccer season is so long, yeah. and so much is going to change from now where we're halfway through the group stages. Every team's played three matches. Once we get to, say, the quarterfinal stage, the semifinal stage, it's pure speculation based on who we think is going to win this competition at this point. So I don't even think it's worth it to think about who's, who's looking the best right now because it could change so easily down the road. 
I want to pivot now to probably the most important game that happened this last yeah, week. Easily. The New York Red Bulls against Charlotte FC in the wild card round of the playoffs. A new new little twist there from MLS. But the Red <laughs> Bulls, the team who myself and James have watched so many times, not score goals, not be clinical in front of goal, and just not do anything in front of goal in general. Score five goals on five shots. Yeah, what? and Elise Manuel, who what? who is who's a guy who was pretty much at the forefront of of all the conversations about the Red Bulls can't score. It, he was a main part of that conversation. He scores a hat trick, not just any hat trick, a really, really a hot hat trick. Like those were good yeah. looking goals from Elias Manuel. John Tolkien banks in a free kick. The Red Bulls win five two. They squeaked into the playoffs. They kept the streak alive against Nashville the, the week before to get in. Now they're in the playoffs. Now they face Cincinnati, the best team in the league. But, James, you were there last night. How was the atmosphere inside Red Bull Arena and just your thoughts on the performance? Well, to start with the atmosphere, um, it, the crowd size was predictably low. It was a weeknight game. Do you know what the number was? I believe it was 16,000, but yeah. it was definitely smaller than that inside because yeah. it's MLS numbers. They're, they do tickets issued. Um which I, which I actually found out a lot more leagues are doing, uh, not just them, which is a criticism of the league, but that's a criticism of all sports in general, guys. Uh, as for the match yesterday, I was very pleased with the atmosphere. From from the get-go, I think people recognized you know, four wins in their last five. They made it to the playoffs in the most dramatic fashion, a 93rd-minute penalty in a must-win game on the final kick of the season, practically, yeah. uh, on the shoulders of a 21-year-old left-back to qualify for the playoffs, as big a moment as they had all season, honestly. And I think that the energy of that kind of carried into the stadium. People were very eager to see the team perform in the playoffs, not only because it's been 14 years running, but because they kind of appreciated how they got there in the end, putting it together right at the end, playing in the ways that, honestly, most everyone was just waiting for to happen earlier. You know, they did they won the ga- those games that they've won, going back to starting with Cincinnati on the road after they won the Supporters' Shield, they've been playing the Red Bull way, winning the ball high up the field and turning those chances into scoring chances. But this time, they've actually been scoring them. Against Nashville, they didn't really have that, but that's classic Nashville. They bunker in, and they don't give you any space. And it took a little bit of Lukinas being Lukinas, drawing a foul, driving at players and initiating some contact, going down and earning a penalty. But they didn't need to do that against Charlotte because they found the spaces in behind. It started early with Manuel making a good run, but it's Daniel Edelman who wins the ball in the middle, just dinks him over the top, and it's clinical finishing from Manuel. That's the sort of thing that was missing. It was that extra piece in the final third that they didn't have. They had it all night. And look, credit to Charlotte. After that terrible first half where they just got destroyed, couldn't match up with the Red Bulls in midfield defensively, and they made them pay. They scored th- the Red Bulls scored three amazing goals in that first half. But then immediately, Kerwin Vargas scores one of the best goals I've ever yeah. seen live uh, on the, the bicycle. bicycle. That was insane. Abs- and, and it was from, by the way, straight off the training ground, too. A free kick routine where Brant Bronico knocked it to the to the back post where Swiderski, who had a mismatch over Frankie Amaya and practically dunked on him to win the header. It was just such a great setup. And then they go again, and they, sc- they go down 4-1 after another nice Red Bulls goal. Tommy Barlow getting on the score sheet. Of course, he has he to. He has to. Has to in the playoffs. But then Patrick Agumong, who scored against Fordham last year for U- two against two Fordham. against Fordham last year for URI, crazy by the way. 
uh, he just muscles his way through the Red Bulls back line. He says, I'm stronger than everybody on the field right now, and I'm going to prove it. And he did. And I'm thinking these, the Christian Latanzio and Charlotte, for as poorly as they set up in the first half, didn't go down without a fight, and they made the Red Bulls have to play in that second half. And while they were bad in moments reacting, the Red Bulls did play, and they proved to me again that they can go toe-to-toe with teams that are punching them and, and are hurting them, which I think is a, which is a good thing for the Red Bulls to be able to come back, react, and score two quick goals after conceding to Charlotte. In both of those cases, Manuel getting the hat-trick. It's the first hat-trick in Red Bulls playoff club history. It's the sixth hat-trick ever in MLS Cup playoff history, which is nuts to think about. Only six. In a league yeah. that goes back to 1996 for as many playoff games as they've had. And the Red Bulls are, I think, now in history in the wild card games, which some years they have it, some years they don't. They're 4-0. and So they're successful in easy playoff games, but not so much in the hard ones. And they've got just about the hardest they've one that they could hard one up next. Up, yeah. And the Supporter Shield winners, FC Cincinnati, likely to have the MVP winner in Lucho Acosta, likely to have Coach of the Year in Pat Noonan, and likely to have Defensive Player of the Year in Take your pick, either Matt Miazga, the former Red Bull, or Yerson Mosquera, the man on loan from the Premier League. So they have so much talent in that team from top to bottom on uh, for, for Cincinnati. I think they have the best defensive midfielder in the league in Obino Nobodo. Uh, I've never thought I would say that about FC Cincy. For the first three years they were in this league, consecutively, they were the worst team. I mean, flashback to last week and Joe Jow. Yeah, Joe <laughs> Jow. That, that exactly. that he was part of those terrible FC Cincy teams, and... They never looked like they had any business bothering anybody in this league. But they've always kind of had a little bit of uh, the Red Bulls number in the past, I would say. In the MLS's back tournament, they knocked the Red Bulls out. Frankie Amaya at the time scored what he called the biggest goal in FC Cincinnati club history in 2020 in that great uh, tournament in Florida. And then in the playoffs last year, it's Brandon Vasquez who gets on the wrong side of Aaron Long to knock out the Red Bulls. And... Harris Madunian scoring from the corner during the pandemic year as well. I can think of many times where the Red Bulls have underwhelmed against a bad... U.S. Open Cup, yeah. right? Yeah. This, yeah. yeah. You, well, th- I want to talk about this year because this year is different. If you, if you remember okay. all three matches between the Red Bulls and Cincy, the two ones that were at home, it was a 2-1 loss. Cincy scored in the 88th minute and 93rd. The Red Bulls were winning for most of that game. Uh, the one on the road, the Red Bulls won 2-1 right after Cincy had been crowned the Supporter Shield. And they didn't have... Everyone starting in that game. So there's a bit of a caveat there. But then in the Open Cup, where they did have a lot of players starting and the Red Bulls rotated, that game went all the way to penalties. And the Red Bulls, like, they rescued that game late with a great Dante Van Zier goal late in the game. Of course, he's not going to be available. But Cincy were not great in that game either. I've thought the Red Bulls have gone toe-to-toe with this FC Cincinnati team. Each of the three matches that they've played them, I like their chances. Look, they're not the favorite, but they were never going to be. The Red Bulls are not a good soccer team this year. Only they have been for the last six, seven games, I would say. So the fact that they have that form coming against a team that was great all year, that they've been good against, they should be super, super confident. But look, if they don't get it, no one's expecting them to. So I, I think the Red Bulls should have a great mindset for, for the way this, this matchup is lining up. I don't think that they're going to come out victorious, unfortunately, but I believe that they could. Yeah. I, I really do. There's enough, enough evidence to suggest that they could come out and advance to the next round. Um, but FC Cincinnati are the favorites, not just in this leg, but in the entire tournament now. Um, and notice I'm calling it a tournament because that's what it is. It's a tournament after the season. Yeah, it is. And round one of the, or this next round, I think it's called round one. of. It is. It it's, is. A, it's a best of three now. Which is that's weird. a return to the old 90s days of MLS. It's very but, American. But, but you know what I just found out? 
after the first round. It's no longer it's back best to sing. of three. I, I was looking earlier today. It's best. It's of only three. the first round. The it's first round the is first best. Educate round. me here. Yeah. Okay, so the so there's the wild card round. So single elimination. Then yeah. round one, which is what we're going into. Red Bulls against Cincinnati. That's best of three. First game in Cincinnati, second game Red Bull Arena, third game if necessary. If necessary, back in Cincinnati. The worst part about the about next, this. yeah, the next round and every round after that is single elimination. That's that's so that sounds exhausting. That sounds ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I think part of it is because they wanted every team to have a home game. They wanted to increase the uh, incentive to finish higher up in the league, but by by adding more teams. Uh, in the playoffs, they kind of watered down the importance of playoffs, but they also kept the uh, the incentives high if you have another uh, home game in round one by finishing between, between first and fourth in your conference. So there's that incentive, I think. But also they just want more money for more games in that first round. Yeah. I think it's – I will always say they the system they had between like 2015 and 2018 – I mean, ironically, when the Red Bulls were good, the system was the best. When it was six teams in each conference, the first two teams get a bye, three plays six, four plays five, and then after that you have two leg ties until the final. It's the best. It was the most soccer type. This doesn't look like soccer to me, and it also is just its just weird that you have to play now three games in oh, ten days to decide who gets to go to the next round, but then you're only going to play one game after that. Yeah, it, feels, yeah. it feels like a like a basketball play-in or something. It, or, 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 or just best of three is like... It's not really something you see, and and it's, and still doesn't make sense. Just like do one of you at home with the first one, then away the second one. Just do it's two legs. fair. Just do two, two legs, legs like That's every what... other tournament does. Both teams get a home game that way. Yeah, and but, but the, the incentive is that they want the I they want the incentive for finishing higher up the table. So but, you get two home games, but, as, as opposed. to I think one. I think honestly, and this look, this would mean the Red Bulls didn't make the playoffs. But I think you incentivize that by just eliminating nine playoff teams, make it six in each conference. I think six would be the magic number. The worst part about this playoff format. And this happened last night in uh, San Jose and Sporting KC. Is they went straight to penalties, which mm. is going to happen. They went straight to penalties, and that would have happened in the Red Bulls had that game been tied after 90 minutes. Which, for the one-off game, their reasoning was, well, look, they just played decision day. They just ended the season on Saturday. They're playing on three days rest, and they've got round one three days later. So they don't want to play 30 extra minutes. Okay, I'll, I'll accept that. But in the best of three series, there's no aggregate scores. It's the winners of each match, and the yeah, matches don't have extra time. So you could see three games and nil-nil, and a team could advance to the group stage for winning two penalty shootouts. Or not the see, group stage. like The League's Cup did this format, and it made sense because it was a group stage of a tournament that interrupted the season, and everyone was kind of like, this doesn't really matter, so I'm not that bothered by it. But this is supposed to be the thing that, uh, I guess, decides your ultimate champion, but you change the format of it every year, and you make it seem more important sometimes and more more areas of the competition are more important than others it to me it doesn't seem like this is the the best way for devising an ultimate champion and look i've always been a supporter shield absolutist for both biased personal and (laughs) and also and also logical reasons i can i believe um this this format is, is so so dumb i don't understand i mean i understand it's for the money like that's That's the only argument that part's incredibly clear I I've especially hate now that a team can go on the road in their first game, can win on penalties, and then come home in their second game, win on penalties after playing two nil-nil games and no extra time, and then go on to the next round. How How is that indicative of the best team in the league, right? Because that's what MLS Cup is supposed to decide. But I don't yeah. think they think they, they see it that way they anymore. They, they, they just want the most entertaining spectacle 
and the most entertaining playoffs but as possible. I'll also say well, then, this, though. Well, then consider, then, then consider this a fun thing and the Supporter Shield champions. The, the main the winners thing, of yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, because the excuse for no extra time is they're going to be exhausted with all the games they have to play with three games coming up and all that, which yeah. is why you should only have two, first off. But then the other thing, the MLS, obviously on the rise, especially after Messi shows up, whatever. But their goal is probably still get the fan, soccer fans in the U.S. to watch the MLS. Ab- absolutely. If you want to do that, don't throw in weird formats that natural soccer fans are going to look at in disgust. Do something that they'll be more interested in actually watching and not shun away from. That's the way you grow the league, really. Yeah. And this is going to be working more against them. It, it really only works to get more money for buying tickets. I, I agree. This this seems to me like a strategy of the early days of MLS where they were trying to turn sports fans into soccer fans. Yeah. And what they should be doing is turning soccer fans into MLS fans. Because yeah. there is clearly a market for soccer in this country. Most people love, like, I'm not most people, but a lot of people in this country love the game, but they don't love this league. Things like this make it seem like they're trying to get baseball fans to be soccer fans or or NFL basketball fans to be to be soccer fans to be MLS fans but like no you should you should be getting people who are familiar with the game because there are many and get them to pay attention to our league and these sort of things you're absolutely right Andy do not help that happen and i i think about like the using the example as the red bulls a team who attendance has gone down so much over these these Five last years there's so many soccer fans in the New York metropolitan area. They exist. Every time Guatemala played at the Gold Cup at Red oh my Bull gosh, Arena. the crowd is crazy. And every time a team like that, Ecuador, Honduras, at Red Bull whenever Arena. they play at Red Bull Arena, it's full and it's packed and it's exciting. And they, soccer fans exist in this country. It's it's What you said was poetic almost. You should be turning soccer fans into MLS fans. So I think looking at this... Red Bulls since first of all, I just want to give a little round of applause for John Tolkien because what a Dog. what a player. Four goals, little round of applause. Four goals and eight assists from left back. And he scored the pen to take the Red Bulls there. And then the free kick, I mean, I thought I was watching somebody incredible on that on that the on the freak beautiful free kick from John Tolkien. The strides he's taken, he deserves, you know, all all the all the applause he's gonna get. But I think it's hard to sort of preview something that's that's going to be a best of three because we've never seen a best of three before. Like, the Red Bulls are going to get a home game. They get they get game two at home even if they lose the first one, even if they lose the first game in Cincinnati. But it's like, just the, the, the format has me tripped up a little bit. But the Red Bulls, if they want to go through, they're going to have to beat Cincinnati twice. And one of those times is going to have to happen away at Cincinnati. So... No matter how hot the Red Bulls are, the Cincinnati is the best team in the league this year, and they are gonna have their work cut out for them. Absolutely, and look, that's that's why I'm I'm coming in with that extra bit of optimism that if it doesn't go the Red Bulls' way, well then look, a lot of things didn't go their way this season because they're they're simply not that great of a team. Like the composition of this team, still started Tom Barlow to all 34 plus one games this season now, so. I, I love talking about the guy. I'm a big fan of his. There is a collective agreement about um, just about everybody who's in knows a thing or two about Major League Soccer that he's not cut out to be starting on any team that seriously wants to succeed, especially in the striker position on a team that is not known for their goal-scoring chops. However, with the way that things have come together lately for the Red Bulls, their ideas have really come to fruition. When you, all The amount of times we've heard 
we, we control the game, we control the pace, we do the things we want to do, but we can't, don't get the goals, things don't come out I right. I thought you were going to do an Austrian accent when you said that, oh, even though he's long gone. Oh, but. It, I, you know, we get these moments in transition. <laughs> no, no, it's so super sexy. No, but uh, the I, was, I, I can, can't that wait to awesome. point that out. But um, where was I? <laughs> I? I got lost there. I, I, I really should have done the Austrian accent just from the get there. It you should, I, I thought that's what you were going into. Uh, definitely, definitely. It's a missed opportunity. But now. the point is that Red Bulls coaches, we've, we've see, heard them say so many times that the right. ideas are there, they're doing the right things, but you never would see a final product. Until the last point of the season. And this is not new. 2021, the Red Bulls are on the outside looking in with 12 games remaining, and they got points in 10 out of their last 12 including uh, four points out of six in one week against New York City. That really turned the tide and kind of got everybody excited about the season again. And it was enough fuel to get them into the playoffs. Those four wins of their last five games, that was enough to get them into the playoffs. And now they've been riding that high. And they just put in, I thought, their best 45 minutes of the season in that first half against Charlotte. The second half, while it had blemishes, still showed signs of me a team that can compete in that high level. While Charlotte are not a good team, really, they're, they're really not, uh, I still saw enough from the Red Bulls that made them look like they were a level ahead of Charlotte, that they set themselves mm-hmm. apart from Charlotte. And that's a Charlotte team that shut down Lionel Messi and Inter Miami, who, by the way, are terrible, but they had Lionel Messi on the field, so they're not terrible. They still um, didn't do anything in the last game. Absolutely nothing. I, I Ballon d'Or winner right there yeah, didn't it, do anything. Yeah, Ballon, d'Or winner, <laughs> Ballon d'Or winner has fewer uh, playoff goals than Tom Barlow. The point being now that I, it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be a, a win for the Red Bulls in this three leg tie or whatever you want to call it, because to have made it to this point is above where they where they honestly belong because they were so terrible for so long stretches. But they've put it together now and they're on a fun run, and you just hope that I'm out of the opinion now that for the Red Bulls it's just about continuing this run for as long as you can. And look, if if, if that's what they can do. Uh, then I, I don't see why they can't get past Cincinnati. I, I really don't. Uh, they are that good of a team, but in a league with this much parity, and it's 90 minutes of soccer, the Red Bulls can, can catch any team just in a moment. That's their game. And they did that against Charlotte, and if they get in a good position against Cincinnati, Cincinnati's going to be way better at putting out those fires than, than Charlotte FC will, but one or two opportunities could, could decide it for the Red I mean- Bulls. Yeah, they put up a great 45, but can they do not even a 90, not even a 180? But can they put in 270 they, minutes they, of they soccer may not together? Have to, they may not have to put in all 270 if they win the first two. Could just be 180. That's, that's yeah, true. Could be. Could be. Yeah. could be. I think in the spirit of what's been going on at the station lately in terms of hot takes that have gotten a lot of traction, I'm, mainly I'm, 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 I'm talking about Ben Oppenheimer's prediction that the Dimebacks go to the World Series, that... I'm a big fan of. Some people aren't, but I'm a big fan I'm a of fan it. Of it. I'm a fan of it. I think we could do that a little bit that of um, the MLS Cup playoffs right now. Mm-hmm. Everybody pick one team, even though it's way too early. We haven't seen any of these teams play in the postseason, but you have to pick one team, and that's your champion. And if it goes, th- and if it happens, then you can rub it in everyone's face and be like, even though no one and no one else cares about MLS, so who knows? I have such a boring pick. Are you gonna pick Cincinnati? No, no. Ooh. I'm gonna. Well, it's boring because it's an establishment pick. LAFC, the Seattle Sounders. Seattle Sounders. I've gone, I've gone mm, for deeper into the establishment, <laughs> not only because they were consistently among the best in the Western Conference, but because they have the been there, done that element, while also introducing some new young faces to their team. You know, guys like Obed Vargas and Josh Atencio have really stepped up and have been big players 
over almost to the degree of guys like Jordan Morris who have been there forever and have carried the torch for for that sort of team. And at the same time, their scoring records are above among that of the best in the league. Their defensive records are like they always are among that of the best teams in the league. And Coach Brian Schmetzer has won this competition before. Um, I think having extra games is only going to help a team with more experience like Seattle. Nico Ladero is playing his last season in Seattle. It's going to be um, a big, big, big year for him because, look, let's face it, he's not going to want to leave without another championship. Uh, and they have depth, too. They have depth in just about every position, um, including including the center back position, which everyone had circled for Seattle Sounders as a big problem with Yamar Gomez-Andrade constantly being criticized for being inconsistent but has established himself over the last two years, I would say, as one of the best center backs in the league. And then Jackson Reagan coming in and proving that he can be a starter at a very high level, too. Uh, I, I, have, I have very few pieces of criticism to levy against the Seattle Sounders. Meanwhile, for just about every other team, uh, I can find things that I don't like, except for St. Louis. I just don't think that the first years in St. Louis are going to go as smoothly as they think they are. And I love Bradley Carnell, and I love the job he's been doing, but I think Seattle, it's a boring pick. I get it, but I, I they're, the way that they're built, they're built to win MLS Cup, and they always are. They didn't make the playoffs last year, and it broke their 13-year streak. It's not for everybody to do it 14 years in a row. Um, but I, I think now that they're back and they're in full swing, they're going to be the hardest team to stop. Andy? Uh, I'm going to go for, I don't even know if this is a hot take or not. I don't watch the league enough, but uh, I'm going to go for Orlando City. Ah, it's a good pick, man. I'm just I'm just looking at the Trending results. Upwards. I'm looking at the results. In the last 12, uh, 12 league games, they only dropped one game versus New York City FC. And so I think that's a... That goes all the way back to like July. I think that's really good momentum. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to go for Orlando City. Also, Ricardo Gaca got a shout out of that team. Mm. So um, I got to hop on the back of that real quick. Duncan McGuire was my pick for Young Player of the Year. He's the striker yeah. for Orlando. There we go. They they are so good at just getting players from college and turning them into into prime goal scorers. Uh, Duncan McGuire is 13 goals now in the league, coming straight out of college in I think 20 or so appearances. Daryl DK had 17 goals out of college. For Orlando, uh, or sorry, not Daryl, Kyle Laren had 17 goals, Daryl DK had 8 or 9, I think 8. Those are unprecedented numbers compared to the rest of the league. Uh, Also, Duncan McGuire is playing ahead of Facundo Torres, Mauricio Pereira, and Ivan Angulo. They've got firepower up front that is probably the most underrated front four in the league right now, uh, and I think they're going to do damage in the East. But they have to go through Nashville, who are probably the toughest team to score on, if, if Orlando can can score on Nashville, and then they can prove to everybody that their front three is legit, I think the rest of the league is going to be very scared from that point. Look, I know we're giving praise to Oppenheimer, but we also got to go all the way back to summer. I called out Spain Spain's, winning the Women's yeah, World did, Cup. We did. So we'll see if this happens again. Now you just got to get on Twitter and be, and you just got to make sure everyone and knows about it. And start memeing at everyone at FUV. everyone. Yeah, drop Although some I saw the other day, bombs. No WFUV cold takes. It's back. It's been revived. Oh my gosh, yes. It's been revived. Who runs that? I don't know. I don't want to know. I just know that I it's actually, a, I actually don't want to I just know times. that it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So you guys did like cool picks. I'm going to pick Cincinnati. Okay. I think what, what Lucio Acosta has done this year is it's just, big. it's big. And... And Mamiazzi's had a great year at the back, and they won Supporter Shield. And usually, a team who wins Supporter Shield doesn't necessarily win MLS Cup, except for last year. Except for last year. So, what happened two, two years in a row? Probably not. But I, I, I don't see a, a world where the the Red Bulls get past Cincinnati. So, I think I, they're a strong team, and everything I've seen about Cincinnati, everything I've read about Cincinnati, I think, despite 
you know, winning Supporter Shield, and there used to be a curse. Now, not really, but I think Cincinnati's got a, got a, a as good a chance as anyone to take it home. Well, I mean, I we all sang them yeah. a lot of praise earlier, not not only because of just what they've been able to do this season, but if you look at the players in their team, they've got probably the best fullback from the year in Alvaro Barriel, easily the best center back partnership in Mosquera and Miazga. Uh, Obinuobodo has been the best holding midfielder for the past two years, probably. They've got the best playmaker in Lucho Acosta, and then an incredible one-two punch up front. And uh, even if Brandon Vasquez doesn't stick around long-term for Cincy, um, they're still going to have goal scoring down the line with uh, Bupenza. So they're they're so strong and everywhere on the field. So it's not not only is it going to take a ninety minute performance, it's going to take ninety minutes consistently good from the Red Bulls, and then they have to going to have to do that again in the next ninety minutes. And if it comes down to three matches, the next ninety minutes after that, I, I think at that point it could very much weigh weigh on the Red Bulls a little bit too heavily. To, yeah. to stand up to that pressure. Because let's face it, they're not going to see a lot of the ball in these games. They didn't even see a lot of the ball against Charlotte, but they were so efficient with it that it made it feel like they did. They're going to have to be just as efficient against a team like Cincinnati. And it's definitely going to be interesting to see how these MLS Cup playoffs pan out. We've got, we're in the midst of European, the, the beauty of the European season, the MLS season coming down to the end. We've got U.S. men's national team big games coming up in November. There's certainly no shortage of stuff to talk about, but that will do it for this week's edition of FUVFC. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. Nick Guzman, James Burley, Andy Rodriguez. Maybe not the same trio next week, but we'll see you guys next time. <laughs>